time I try to use my newfangled, well, it's not newfangled anymore, but anyway, <clears throat> uh, I have a Bible on this iPad, and it's usually very reliable, and but usually when I need it on Sundays, it it doesn't work out real well. But I have I have what I need. I'm curious to see what Jim's going to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's 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 pray. Lord, we we come before you humbly. And we we really want to, regardless of what day it is, we, and I know it's Father's Day, but we want to come before you humbly and we want to worship you, we want to hear what you have to say. And I pray that you would lead us in all of this, in Jesus' name, amen. Um. Well, let's see. I'm just going to put this up because it's not doing me any good. Okay. So, okay, what we're talking about here is maturity. And it's, you know, it's not, you don't get to start off mature. You start off, you know, youth, then you have, you know, like adolescence and so forth. But what I want to do is I want to kind of explain something and so that we can understand how God works in this. And the first scripture I want to refer to is 1 Samuel 16, starting with verse 10 and going through 13. I'm reading NIV, but there shouldn't be that much difference. So, this was about, uh, this is about the um, Samuel selecting David to be the king. Now, they've already got a king. But he's selecting David to be the next king. And um, it says, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are, are those all the sons you have? Uh, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is, he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for and had him brought in. He was ruddy, which means red-complected, with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil 
and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Now that's 1 Samuel chapter 6. I'm sorry, 16. Now, you'd think that David would just instantly become king. But if you know anything about the Old Testament, anything about how all of this worked, you know that he didn't. He was anointed king, but he did not just become king. It wasn't until 2 Samuel chapter 5, this is verse 1, this is, you know, four verses. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to David at Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. So a lot happened between 1 Samuel 16 and 2 Samuel 5. And without going into too much of it, um, actually it was before First uh, Samuel 16, I believe. Anyway, you had Goliath. We mustn't forget Goliath, right? And, uh, and then you had, you know, and, and of course, uh, David was praised for that, and then he was brought to the attention of Saul, and, and then, you know, he, there was a there was a real kind of a weird relationship between Saul and David because, um, you know, Saul would, would love him one minute and hate him the next. And more hate than love, but, you know. Um, but the idea is that every time that Saul, and at this point, you know, David didn't have anything. To uh, accept his ability to do to his his music, and that's essentially what he had. Um, and he didn't have any kind of protection um, as an anointed musician. The anointing went to the effectiveness of the music, but it didn't really. Um, It didn't protect him. He, he was prophetic, but he didn't really have any protection uh, in that. He's, uh, he, could, he was a priest. He didn't have any protection in that. Um, 
he was, I mean, if you know the whole story, he ends up in a cave uh, with, with his followers. Um, and he's essentially leading a group of outcasts. Now, at the, while this is all going on, his allegiance and his, I don't know, his, um, okay, he's outside of the border of his country. He's, his allegiance is to, it, but, but he still will not violate the anointed, and the anointed is Saul. And not until he's, you know, ultimately, you know, Saul is um, he's Saul ultimately is 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 killed, and then David can take over. Now that's a long time, and. <clears throat> And essentially what's going on there is that it was enough for the prophet Samuel to look at David and go, this is our next king. But what had to happen in David's life is David had to learn how to be king. Now I'm going to skip into the, uh, yeah, No, I'm just saying that he didn't have any kind of special protection in that. It didn't protect David. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I could say you could probably make a case that there was some, you know, some protection for him in that, but. It'd be hard to get, you know, okay. So, now what we're going to do now is we're going to skip to the New Testament. And uh, we're going to start with Ephesians chapter 4. Now, this is one of my favorite, favorite books in the Bible Um, starting with verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Now, some people will call this the five-fold ministry, and it may be five, and it may be four. That's not my major concern here, but um, what I want to do is want to show what those things meant, because a lot of times when we look at those, we want to think, you know, like apostles and prophets and so forth. 
And what that meant, as best I can understand, was um, that it was to, well, it was by and large, I mean, the main goal of the apostles was to expand the church, was to establish new churches. And that's from the, I mean, you know, you've probably heard, or, you know, if you haven't, it's, they're called the, the, the sent out ones. Um, the idea is that they're, the idea is that leaving their home church in order to establish a branch or another church. And uh, I'm reading uh, Acts right now, and uh, gosh, I'm just looking at all the things that, that Paul did. He certainly wasn't the only one, but he, he was, he may have been the best one. Um, and he's, he would do whatever it took. And it could take, I mean, he was like on the, the razor's edge many times. And so he, that's, that's exactly what he's doing. He's establishing this church all over what is today Greece and Turkey and you know, um, and it's important that a, an apostle is sent by God, not just something they choose to do. Um, in, in, in the New Testament, there is, I don't know about history, but I know that in New Testament that was attended by works of power, works of wonder. Now, the next thing is prophets. And the whole idea of the prophet is to is revelation of the word of God. And there are two ways this happened. One is the um, foretellers. When we think of prophet, we think of somebody who is telling us something we didn't already know or reminding us of something we already did know. But um, there's also, you know, forth tellers, which is probably sort of that second, second part of that. And that is that the... Um, mostly... It's just making it clear to people how they're supposed to be living. Um, evangelists, now their purpose is to announce the good news. Capital G, capital N. I mean, normally when we think of the good news, I mean, we're in the South. We've grown up here in the, you know, and so the idea is 
Well, we're having a revival meeting down at the church, and we're going to be proclaiming the good news. You know, I mean, we've heard those things so many times, or at least I have, that we kind of forget what that is. So that's the job of the evangelist. And the evangelist is somebody who is kind of uniquely endowed with effectively sharing the gospel. Now, we can all share the gospel. And that, you know, and, and should. But the evangelist is somebody who's got a special gifting in that. And then, you know, whether you want to separate these or put them together, whatever, you've got the pastor and you have the teacher. Um, and, and their role is to shepherd and to, mentor, uh, and to mentor. In fact, the word pastor means shepherd. So, I mean, all of those are things that, that God has put together that we are supposed to benefit from. So, verse 12 to prepare God's people for works of service. I kind of like the uh, King James here for uh, to equip the saints. But not everybody gets that. So, um, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So that is supposed to be there so that we can these things are supposed to operate in such a way that we can, we can operate in unity and maturity and can arrive at the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, unity, maturity, fullness... That's the objective of these ministries. And that, by the way, is so the people can do the work. Okay? Let me reiterate that. And again, I don't know how much of this you may have heard before, but I know that if, you have, if you're expecting all of this to be something that's going to make the church staff, the ones that are going to go out here and do all this stuff, then that's not what this is saying. I mean, this is, for, this is for all of us. Not all of us are going to be prophets or evangelists or whatever, but it's for all of us. Now, um, verse 14 
then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every kind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, that's another key phrase, speaking the truth in love, we will have, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, you could say, well, that sounded like a good plan, but what happened? The same thing that happened in 1 Corinthians 13. Remember that one? How wonderful that love is and how we can't really pull it off. We can't pull this off either. But we can. How can I say this? We can... Okay, Paul does not back off from what it is that we, does not back off from our calling in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? And you look at it and you go, that's, that's beautiful, but that's impossible. And to us, that is correct. But this, this is just as impossible. I mean, I can look at it and go, no, that's pretty feasible. I mean, you know, if we get everybody in line here and, you know, get the unity, maturity, fullness, get everybody where they're, listening to the, you know, not acting like children, but where they can speak the truth and love and grow up. So that sounds just as feasible, but the problem is, is that we don't have that kind of, we don't have those things. Those are things that God does. Okay, so when he, you know, when it talks about uh, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be uh, pastors and teachers. So this is not something we're supposed to gin up inside of ourselves. This is something that we are supposed to receive. And it's not that it can't happen. It's just that it doesn't 
typically happen. We'll screw it up somewhere along the way. And the fact of the matter is, is we live as members of an adolescent culture. And that's, that's not entirely bad. I mean, we have, you know, we are growing up. There are cultures that are, I mean, you know, I could say there are childish cultures, but it's also kind of hard to lay any blame on them because, I mean, if I'm talking about a um, third world culture where they just don't know anybody, you know, whatever. But I'm just saying that we, we, are, we are a part of an adolescent culture. And our job is to grow up. The things that we've experienced, the things that we've seen and done are not figments of our imagination. Our interpretations of them were perhaps childish. And I mean, you can tell that because it's the, the idea is it's all about, you know, it's, you ask a child what, what's up and, you know, I mean real child, like a toddler or something. And, you know, insofar as they can communicate it, they're saying, it's a, you know, this is all about me. I mean, you know, that is what children do. Or, making it mature to adolescence, well, it's still all about them. <laughs> you know, but they have some more sophisticated reasons for believing it. Um, the, the point is, though, he has given these things to us. And he's established these offices, and we call them offices, that's what people call them. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. For the purpose of equipping the saints, that's you and me, for works of service. We're just learning to be shepherds, as David was at the time of his calling. Remember, Samuel had to send out there and say, go get David. I mean, is this all, your, this all of your sons? Oh, yeah, well, the youngest one's out there with the sheep. He says, get them all. I mean, I want him here. So that's what we're to be doing. So every step that we take is to be toward unity. And that is 
going to be evidenced by the courage and freedom to speak the truth in love. Unity based on knowing the truth about each other <clears throat> and loving each other just the same. Every step we make towards maturity, not acting grown up, you know, with quotes around it, but being grown up, taking responsibility. Well, let's put it this way. I, my failures are because I failed, and not because somebody else let me down. Now that's okay. I want you to I want you to think about that for a minute. Because until that now I also know that that's rarely true. But that's where we have to start. Okay? We have to start there. So we I can take responsibility for what, to my understanding, is to the best of my ability, is my, you know, is my, is on me. If somebody else let me down, then that's on them, and they'll have to own it or whatever, I mean, again, the circumstances are going to be different with each of us, but, um, but the bottom line is it's not somebody else's responsibility to make me happy. So, in, another way of saying this is it's, it's my responsibility when it is, even when it's not my fault. We like to look at whose fault something is. And I don't think that's a bad thing. It's not the main thing. And that, just learning to do that, is a step toward fullness in Christ. 